You're listening to Youth Ministry Maverick, a podcast about mold-breaking methods to invest in the next generation of the church. Here's your host, Jeff Harding. What's going on, everybody? This is Jeff. Welcome back to Youth Ministry Maverick. You're listening to episode 85, Helping Teenagers Find Their Purpose. Well, finding purpose is something that is an ongoing question for humanity. You find it as the driving point for a lot of great books, uh, movies, discussions. And for teenagers especially, trying to figure out who they are and what they're supposed to do, um, this can be a huge topic, um, but one that should be grounded in everything we're teaching and doing with our students to encourage them in their God-given purpose. Uh, To help me talk about that today, uh, our guest Brad Griffin joins me. Brad is over at the Fuller Youth Institute, uh, a youth ministry veteran and author. Um, We talk about uh, using scripture and using the Holy Spirit and just the context of youth ministry and the narrative that drives for students in their faith with the church um, to figure out and help them learn what their purpose is. So let's hop into that conversation with Brad. Well, Brad, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. It's great to have you. Uh, Most people who are watching and listening should know who you are. Uh, But for those who don't, could you give us a quick recap and introduction about you and what you do? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Jeff. I really appreciate being here. I'm excited for this conversation. Um, I serve at the Fuller Youth Institute as the Senior Director of Content and Resources. And we are basically a research and resourcing arm of Fuller Seminary. And our whole mission is around equipping leaders and parents um, so faithful young people can change our world. And we do that through researching just what's going on with young people, what's going on in ministry, and trying to help people um, connect those dots to just do the work they do in loving and serving and discipling young people. Yeah, I also serve in youth ministry in my church, so I get to kind of do that hands-on, uh, and I'm a parent of three teenagers and young adults, so I have lots of playgrounds to see what, <laughs> you know, what, what doesn't, doesn't land, <laughs> so, Yeah, which is really fun. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely an adventure. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, I think once you get involved in, in youth ministry, you can't help but at least keep up with it or stay involved in it. Um, and it, it's, it's an adventure. It's a lot of fun. That's awesome. Love, love to hear that. Uh, I've been a big fan of Fuller Youth Institute for a while, uh, way back when I first heard about Chap Clark and Hurt and all the research moving up into that, keeping up with what you and Kara do. Um, and it's, it's been cool. Uh, a lot of people I've talked to over the years, uh, have always mentioned, uh, FYI as, as a resource for them. So yeah, grateful. for Thanks. I'm glad to hear it. Mm -hmm. So uh, for this episode, uh, we're talking about helping teenagers discover their purpose. uh, More importantly, framing it in the context of their God, what their God given purpose is. Um, You and Kara Powell, Kara Powell at Fuller Youth Institute, uh, you all teamed up a few years ago and wrote a book called three big questions 
that change every teenager. And um, I'd love to start with the creative process and motive for making that book um, and for making purpose your final big question that you guys tackled. What factors led to you and Kara including that in your big three questions? Well, anybody who's spent time with teenagers knows that they have a lot of questions and mm-hmm. kind of what we, uh, our bias is that every teenager is a walking bundle of questions. <laughs> yeah. and, and and the research would prove that out. So, I mean, really to go back to the origin, you know, you, you mentioned Chap Clark and of course our early work was really shaped by Chap. And one of the things that he talked about in his own research and writing was this journey along that he called it the adolescent tightrope. And so this developmental phase, you know, that kids are in, in the season of life. And there he didn't, he didn't um, use the exact same. He talked about identity and belonging and um, autonomy. Um, And we, over time, through talking with Chap, through following the work of folks like Mark Ostriker, um, mm. the folks at Orange, and their research in the the phase project, looking at over each developmental phase, uh, as well as talking with some psychologists and developmental folks, we sort of zeroed in on these three, what we call the three big questions of identity, belonging, and purpose. So who am I? Where do I fit or where do I belong? And then what difference can I make? Um, you know, c- kind of the, why am I here? Why does my life matter? And as we started to probe on that a little more and dig a little more, we we really feel like most questions that teenagers are asking outside of the obvious ones, like, like when are we going to eat? And, you know, <laughs> what's for like, <laughs> can I have a new phone? I mean, there's yeah. those kind of questions, yeah. but but these bigger questions sort of all filter into these big buckets of identity, belonging, and purpose. And we sort of tested that theory out on a whole lot of folks and and zeroed in. And when we started to even to look at what's out there in youth ministry, realizing a lot of what we do in discipleship sort of zeroes in on one or more of these questions. And so we also felt like we just really needed to understand today's teenagers a lot of the work that we do in youth ministries is informed by work across the decades, really great work, great research. But a few years ago, I realized, Jeff, that I kept hearing in youth ministry circles, people would would quote the National Study of Youth and Religion, um, mm-hmm. which I've quoted a whole lot in my, you know, in my career. And we, I, I mean... <laughs> The young people who were part of that National Study of Youth and Religion are now hitting 40, all right? They're millennials. They're they're not teenagers by a long shot. They were, and we learned a lot from them. But today's cohort of young people of, you know, preteens, teenagers, young adults, they're they're just different, right? Mm-hmm. And so those differences in Gen Z from millennials, those differences in just what it's like to grow up today in a radically different world, we wanted to sit and just listen to teenagers talk about their lives on their terms for, you know, right now and what it's like to be alive right now. So Mm -hmm. that, that really is what led us into this particular project. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Very different. I remember even just a handful of years ago, uh, when there was some kind of, uh, social, 
uproar with um young people like at beaches or doing stuff in in march and people were i saw people online definitely older generations blaming those millennials on spring break and we're all like we're in our mid-30s like that's not us (laughs) stop blaming us stop blaming everything on millennials okay uh so yeah i think people understanding generational shifts and now you know we're in the second semester of the first school year for gen alpha being in middle school and so there's several studies that are already coming out on that and how even more inundated they are i remember sitting and listening to mark matlock uh at a planet wisdom conference years ago talk about sociologists talking about gen alpha and how they could have as many as four or five different careers not to mention all the jobs in between and how much technology Mm -hmm. is shifting everything so it's always good to get the perspective of the teenagers that you're studying and i loved reading that book and seeing uh at least one of the students interviewed who kind of used the language that you guys have been using because he went um and looked both you and kara up online to see what you were looking at before the interview right and so uh they're being adaptable um being aware of everything uh we need their perspective not just our well i read this very comprehensive study 15 20 years ago and now i know everything like we always need to learn um how to do our job over again in some ways right yeah yeah. That's a really good way to put it. You know, I mean, I've been in youth ministry since the nineties and I have had to learn over and over again, really. And of course there are things that last and there are through lines, but mm-hmm. you know, in a lot of, in a lot of ways, we, we carry with us a set of assumptions that are no longer accurate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 True. I definitely catch myself thinking uh that's more of an assumption and a generality at this point that's maybe not specific enough um so i definitely want to plug the book if you're watching and listening and you haven't read the book you need to read the book um but i did want to take a few uh off-roads here with, with some questions um yeah so i feel like youth ministry is where you really get to roll up your sleeves and get in the depths of scripture with students not that it doesn't happen in children's ministry um uh, but in youth ministry just developmentally right moving from concrete to concrete to abstract asking that first question that you started off with uh, who am i and so um i feel like biblical literacy has been something starting a lot maybe i think maybe a lot of it was recognized with my own generation being a mm-hmm. millennial um, but i think biblical literacy at least in american churches has been a growing issue um so brad how does scripture how does pointing back to scripture help guide students to find their purpose? I love this question. You know, you're right that biblical literacy as such is, you know, probably at an all-time low among <laughs> among professing Christians in the yeah. US. Um and I, there's a lot of reasons for that. And I do think it's generational. I'm glad you mentioned this is not just about today's teenagers. This is about this is about their parents too, you know? Mm-hmm. And it, it is a it, it's about a lot of things. Um, but setting that kind of over here, setting the the why aside for a minute, I 
get so excited about the potential of opening up scripture with young people, in part because sometimes it's giving them a really fresh look at something that they haven't interacted with a lot before. Mm -hmm. Or maybe they have some ideas, they have some stories, um, but really um, opening up scripture with them, especially in this developmental stage, I think there's so much potential there. And thinking about purpose in particular, there's... We have this really, I think, exciting opportunity at this moment in their lives when they're asking these questions about, like, what am I going to do in my life? And why am I here? And what's this all for? You know, scripture is full of stories that get at those kinds of questions. It's full of, um, of guidance. It's full of poetry and, and instruction that all it's not all about purpose, but there's a lot in there about purpose. And I think one of the big things that scripture does when we, when we open that with teenagers is we can help them put their questions today in the context of a much bigger story. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, part of where we land in, in our, in our own research and thinking theologically about purpose is one of the greatest gifts we can give students is this sense of my story matters and my purpose matters because it's caught up in this bigger story of what God is doing. Mm-hmm. And scripture helps us see, all right, here's what, here's this through line of what God has done, what God is doing now, what God will do in the future. And we can put our own, we can put ourselves in that story in a way that isn't just so focused on me, 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 and the American individualist version of like my purpose and, yeah. you know, my success and all of that, we can, we can detangle it a little bit by saying, actually, you're part of something so much bigger. And that's really good news because it also lowers the pressure a little bit. I I think scripture gives us some really beautiful, um, uh, like to zero in, I'm, I'm struggling with the word instruction here, but think about the instruction of, you know, Jesus is pointedly asked about the greatest commandment. Like there's all these commands, there's all these rules. Like what do we really need to zero in on? And Jesus says really clearly, it all kind of comes down to loving God and loving other people as you love yourself. Mm -hmm. And we can, we can work with that, right? Like we can work with that in youth ministry in a way that says, Hey, here's the scriptural grounding for how we are meant to live out our purpose. And, and when we can help students get first things first, then a whole lot can flow out of that. Yeah. Um, I, one more example uh, along those lines, just recently in our youth ministry in my own church, um, we went, we've been looking at the Beatitudes with students and in Matthew 5. And, you know, I got to be honest, when we were heading into this, I was thinking, uh, I don't know how this is going to land. I don't know, you know, like, how does this really sound <laughs> yeah, to yeah. these, you know, students? And I got to tell you, we've had some really rich conversations where they're sort of digging in and unpacking, gosh, what, what could that kind of life look like? You know, Mm -hmm. what, what could it look like if we actually in the halls of our high school were living out what it means to um, uh, like to practice these sort of alternative ways of being that Mm -hmm. Jesus lays out Mm -hmm. and that like that gets me excited to think about opening up those kind of passages with students to think about their purpose 
like in everyday right now life, as well as, as they're looking towards the future. Yeah. No, I, I love that. Um, yeah. The Beatitudes are really fun when you have to dive into them more and look at like why Jesus is referencing them and the way that he is and what does it mean to live this way. I love that you brought up the greatest commandment because even as you're talking, I think it helped me realize something that if you piece it together, it makes sense. But I've never pieced it together in this succinct thought before of, you know, especially middle schoolers, when you're asking the question all the time, who am I? Obviously, self-esteem, obviously the way technology influences our self-worth, our fear of missing out, our trying to figure out things. Maybe one of the main reasons why, even though teenagers can hear the words, love God and love others as you love yourself, that last part right there, maybe they're having a hard time because they're still trying to figure out what it means to love themselves. And so if they don't have a groundwork for that, that's where I think the influence of certainly and primarily their parents and their family, but coming alongside them, youth workers need to help them establish a base of reality. What you mentioned earlier, where we fit in God's big story and why our story matters. Um, I got the chance to meet Alistair McGrath once, uh, the theologian. And um, I I asked him why he made one of his latest books about apologetics, narrative apologetics. And Uh, he said, um, one of the things he said was, it's because we want to teach people and help people know that their story matters because their story is a part of my story and is a part of the bigger story at play. And so it's not just about science or logic or anything else. Like the way God is moving in your life is valid and needs to be shared as part of the reasoning behind the reality of who God is. And so I think establishing that base of reality for students is just as important for their purpose, what we're talking about, but also their identity and how to love themselves or else they're not even really going to understand, okay, it sounds simple, love God and love others, but I'm not sure how to love others because I'm not even sure how to love myself. So what does that even translate to loving God? And I think I let, I've it's kind of a light bulb moment uh, that if you say all those things separately, yeah, I've heard that and know that. But to put that together of like, maybe students don't even really know what that means when we think, oh, it's assumed they would know what that means. And maybe they don't. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, and I'm glad you mentioned the spirit in that too, because I do think we can, when we talk about the Bible. And when we talk about teaching the Bible and discipling with the Bible, sometimes we can, we can leave out that element of, I mean, we can just over intellectualize this whole thing, yeah. even talking about story. And yeah. Um, but there's something about, I mean, s- students need to need to hear from God's spirit that they are loved, right. That they Absolutely. are worthy, that they are worth loving and being alive. And mm-hmm. I do think it's um, it's so important that we give space for the work of the Spirit in their lives and in their reading of Scripture, and that we emphasize this relational nature of God. You know, God is this this interpersonal being. I mean, I mean, like talking about the Trinity can be really hard, especially with yeah. middle schoolers. Um, yeah, <laughs> because the you know God is a mystery, but I think it helps when we say like. God is at the very core relational. 
you know, God is father and son and spirit as one in this beautiful, in this beautiful relationship that models for us what it looks like to, you know, love and mutuality and embrace. And God extends that to us and calls us children and calls us loved Mm -hmm. um, and calls us like wanted, you know, and these are, again, I mean, these are all scriptural terms too. Um, But this sense of um, opening up for young people, scripture, I mean, including in the, in a way that says, like, look at, look at what God does. Like, look at what God's spirit does in people's lives and how, um, and how the spirit can transform. Um, I think that's so important for us to hold together because young people are looking for that too. You know, they're, they're looking for that sense of um, not just, not just uh, what's the word I'm looking for, not just sensational experience. So I don't want to, I mean, we can overemphasize that, of course, like, our, sure. but this sense of, of the mystical, like mm-hmm. we're, we're talking about faith here. We're talking about yeah. something that is a mystery. And sometimes we get so set on like certainty and knowing the right information. And that's mm-hmm. the kind of discipleship that I had. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm, um, I'm in this period of really wanting to help young people engage like this isn't all just cerebral there is a mystery here and a beauty and if we're really going to know that we're loved and we're worth loving um that there's something more than just knowledge that's gonna that's gonna have to get that across Mm -hmm. and that's about god's spirit and that's about community it is about experiencing belonging with other people that i know i really can be myself here no matter what like that is a deep uh mystical experience it is a it is a really deep personal spiritual experience to know that you belong mm-hmm. and i think youth ministry can do that yeah yeah that's i know for me personally that's where i found as andy root would put it kind of the best narrative of living with jesus i found that in youth ministry when i was a teenager and that really brought me out of a place of kind of a dark place of wondering who am I? Maybe I'm not so great. You know, it was a few years after my parents' divorce and that reality of peers and leaders investing and walking with you was crucial. And yeah, I love that you brought up certainty and everything else and mystical. Uh, reminds me of Henry Nowen, you know, talking about going to live with people with special needs and how to embrace yeah. the mystical and the idea of community. And Ephesians 2 says that we're saved by faith, not by knowledge. And so um, what does that mean for us? There's a lot of important knowledge to acquire and talk about. But at the end of the day, like Paul says, if Jesus hasn't risen from the dead, we're the most to be pitied. And we have to have faith that God is who he says he is. Um, And, you know, for teenagers, that can be maybe frustrating to not have a clean, nice answer in a Google age where you can have instant gratification and be able to bash someone's argument with all these points. And you found in 10 seconds, you know, being able to have patience and wait and like sit in the tension and trust God. It's like, that could be a hard answer, but it's when you realize who God is and how he's, how he's uh, just unfolded history it really is mm-hmm. the most satisfying because you know it's within the vein of how he's created us to interact with him at this point, this side of Jesus coming back. Um, yeah. And uh, when you have 
real people, tangible there um, to do life with who are reinforcing that as well. That's that's one of the main reasons I think um, youth ministry is very crucial. Children's ministry and youth ministry, building those foundations. Um, so scripture, obviously, is a main component for students discovering their purpose. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, so you, Youth Ministry Maverick is the podcast. And I always like to take, if I can, whenever I can, kind of an outside perspective or an outside question that might be not traditional. And, um, you know, the last several years uh, with polarization politically, within evangelicalism, um, there's a lot of how the church markets itself and makes itself known. And um, Brad, do you feel like the fractured canvas of how churches um, and Christians conduct themselves online or in the marketplace, do you think that's altered how students might go about saying, I'm part of the church and that's my purpose? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, Jeff, teenagers, they're watching, they're mm-hmm. listening. Yeah. If we know anything about teenagers, we know that they're they're paying attention when we think they're not paying attention. Mm-hmm. They see that, you know, I mean, they see the fighting, they see the inconsistencies, um, they certainly see the moral ambiguity mm-hmm. and the the tension you know, in particular around some of the divides and partisanship and sort of all or nothing thinking mm-hmm. around um, around politics and how much that's dividing the church. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think one of the big things they see in that is this lack of love and lack of graciousness in all of that. It's sort of like we've we're in a period of time when we love the fight itself, like the sense of people being so against each other. It's almost like we're more committed to the conflict yeah. and committed to certainty and committed to our positions than we are actually committed to people and yeah. to loving people and, and trying to dialogue and work things out. And I think, I mean, a lot of young people look at that and they call that hypocrisy for Christians. Mm-hmm quite honestly. Um, they, they see that we're many, many of us are more interested in being right than we are in being loving. Um, then we are in vulnerability or humility, curiosity. And I think, you know, I, I really think uh, we've lost our way in some of that and some of those conversations. And even some of us who can really switch almost like a light switch to go from talking about love and the way of Jesus and the Bible to suddenly talking about making it very clear, you know, that we actually hate those who oppose us um, on social issues or political issues. And that, that gets really fiery, really fast. And so I think what I wonder, Jeff, what I wonder, and I think young people wonder um, like, what if the church could be the safest place to have conversations with people with whom we disagree. Yes. What if the church could be the safest place to have these really, if we're, if we're, if we dig into it, they are, they're complex conversations Mm -hmm. and, and they require human connection and understanding. And rather than the church running from that, because we have this fear 
of losing our certainty or of losing our like being right about everything. Um, what if the church could be the place where we really could have the richest conversations and yeah. could listen deeply and could seek understanding and human connection. And when I look at the ministry of Jesus, Jesus certainly wasn't afraid of that. So he just, Jesus was not afraid of being with his opponents, his religious opponents, his political opponents. Um, also, you know, with people with whom he maybe morally uh, had grounds to disagree with or to judge or to condemn. And and over and over and over, we see this pattern where Jesus gets close and seeks to be with people. And, you know, and I would say even listen and understand. And so I guess I wonder, like, can we hold each other through disagreement? You know, can we be that kind of community? And I think when, I think if young people see that willingness in adults in, in the church, um, that they're going to be really compelled by that mm-hmm. because it feels like even just as a society, it sort of feels like the only way forward right now, you know, certainly just beating each other down. Um, it's not getting us where it's not moving us forward. Um, you know, as a people. And, and I think if we can, if we can begin to accept that we're, we're in this together. And like, these are the people we're called to mm-hmm. <laughs> these people we disagree with um, yeah. who are around us are the people we're called to, to love yeah. um, the people in our families who see things really differently and who have trouble even having conversation with each other because of how they see things differently. Like these are the people we're called to love. Mm-hmm. And what does that look like? And Jesus and the Bible absolutely have things to say about that. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if the church could be the place where we could have some of those conversations. Yeah. Um, yeah. Those are things I wonder about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I also wonder that, you know, I look at how often Christians might quote or wrestle with Romans 13, right? God appoints leaders and Kings and all that. And then if one's particular party is in office, it's like, Oh yeah, we should listen to them. And I think people need to keep reading into Romans 14 where Paul addresses disagreements in the church. And like, you need to be one together. And it's like, man, if we were as much or more about Romans 14 as we were about Romans 13, when it comes to politics or ideology or anything else, I, that that is my dream, what you said, for the church to be the safest place to talk with people who you disagree with. Because um, on a number of issues, whether it's anyone struggling with something in their life or past hurt or what's for their future, if they're not accepted and able to have dialogue at church, where else are they, are they going to find that? And is that place going to be Christ-centered? There's a lot of places where probably not. And so we need to be, I think we need to redefine what it means to love others well. You know, we talked about teenagers learning how to love themselves well. We need to figure yeah. out how to love others well, because I'm not sure we've been doing a, a great job on that. And just look online for 10 minutes and you'll see evidence of that. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, it's clear when we read about the early church that they struggled with this. And I think there should be comfort for that in us, you know, Mm -hmm. like how much the writings of the early church focus on unity and on disagreement. And, um, and, you know, I think about Galatians 3 and Paul saying, 
like this promise of God is for all of us. And so in the context of that, there is no slave or free. There is no male or female. There is no Jew or Gentile because all of us are one in Jesus Christ in this promise. Mm -hmm. And, and that like God is holding us through this. Um, And if we can trust that the faithfulness of Jesus is holding us through this and, and wants us to be, not to ignore our differences, but to lean in and say, this will not undo us. Mm -hmm. Like these differences are big and and we don't agree and this will not undo us. And we're going to trust and hold one another through it because it's what God asks us to do. And it's this new family, it's this new family that, that Jesus makes possible Mm -hmm. um, that shouldn't be together. I mean, you know, that's the thing. Like, you look at the New Testament. Well, Jews and Gentiles shouldn't be family. They no. just shouldn't. They're yeah. too different. Like it's it's impossible. And, and I think we could put that on our context and say, you know, look, people across race and culture in our society shouldn't be family. Mm-hmm. <laughs> people across political parties in our like shouldn't be family. People across these social, uh, um, you know, these ways that we isolate from one another and, and that we that we say. We're so ideologically different. Mm-hmm. We shouldn't be family, and yet, and yet, this is the very thing that Jesus has come to do. And I think what's maybe tricky for us is the possibility that in the midst of that, we might have to give up our obsession with being right mm-hmm. and our obsession with being righteous, yeah. <laughs> self righteous about who gets to be in and mm-hmm. who has to be out. And I think that is going to make us uncomfortable. And again, scripture is comfort for me in that because I see people having to be really uncomfortable in scripture with who's there, who's at the table, who's at the communion table. Yeah, It's very uncomfortable in scripture. And we gloss over that, but that has a word for us, I think, today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not just offensive because of the exclusivity of Jesus, but it's offensive because anyone who's deciding who should be in and out don't deserve to be in either. <laughs> and yeah. so uh, we need to have a good self-awareness of that. Yeah. Well, Brad, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, I did want to ask uh, if there's anything at Fuller that you guys are working on now that you're excited is going to come out soon or something that recently dropped that you want to make people aware of. Yeah. Thank you for asking. Uh, two, two things real specifically. One, um, we just released a devotional that was a follow-up to Three Big Questions and it's for students. Okay. So it's a 60 day journey to really help them dig in. It's called three big questions that shape your future. Um, I'm super excited about that. And we've been hearing some great feedback and and how youth leaders are using that with their students too. Um, and then we have a curriculum coming out real soon called who do you say I am? And it oh, takes wow. a scriptural look at both Jesus identity, but then also our own. So it's a deeper dive into this identity question with young people and helping them explore that culturally helping them explore that in their in their context in their neighborhood um and also in light of scripture and who Jesus is um and I'm just really excited I, I'm excited to use it in my own youth ministry so I hope I hope it'll be useful to other folks too yeah love it okay awesome well I'll definitely have to promote that when it comes out um appreciate love it. hearing that yeah. love hearing that well Brad thanks again man thanks for making time um praying for you and Kara and everything you guys are doing at at, at Fuller Youth and uh, keep doing what you're doing for the next generation, man.
I really appreciate that, Jeff. It was great to talk with you. That concludes today's episode. Thanks again to Brad for joining me. If you haven't already, please like and subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening to it. And be sure to check out our website, youthministrymaverick.com. There, you can see a comprehensive list of our guests, their bio information, some organizations that can help you in your ministry, some articles I've published, and a store to help support the podcast. Also, we would love if you give us a review on Apple Podcasts, not just a rating, but a review. It helps our visibility, and we would really appreciate that. If you do leave us a review, take a screenshot of it and send it to me, and I will personally mail you a thank you card with some podcast swag that you can't get on the store. Well, that does it for today. Thanks again for listening. Please share this if it helps others that you know, and we hope that you've been encouraged by it. Until next time, adios. Adios.